Welcome, everybody. Filibuster Freestyle, we are back again, just like I said the last time we did this podcast. It's been a little while. So we went away, as everybody knows, or if you listened to the last show, you know. We were in Hawaii. Crack Research Team was there. Everybody was there. And then, uh, you know, we're getting back to reality here. And next thing you know, it's been almost two weeks since the last pod for the second time in a row. So July 2021 might go down as the least podcasted month in the history of the show since we started this thing like six plus years ago. Either way, it's uh, Olympic season. So let's do a little bit of an Olympics mini podcast. Just yours truly here today. Want to make a couple announcements off the bat. Number one, our our last podcast, which I alluded to, was the year 2001, ranking the year-end Billboard Hot 100 charts. Good podcast there with Chief Marketing Officer Cindy Harrington. Myself, live from Hawaii. First time the show has been recorded in the Hawaiian time zone. Want to shout out the aviator, my brother. Uh, I record this on July 28th. His birthday is the 30th. He's over in jolly London town, a.k.a. foggy London town. Anyway, happy birthday to The Aviator coming up on July 30th. Going to hit the theme song, going to come back. Olympic, uh, it's either a lukewarm take about an ice-cold Olympics or an ice-cold take about a lukewarm Olympics. But either way, I'm going to try to land the plane the best I can after the theme song. Filibuster Freestyle. Filibuster, Filibuster Freestyle. All right, as noted, filibuster freestyle Olympics time. The last time we had an Olympics podcast, five years ago, not four years ago, don't believe we did anything for the Winter Games back in 18, which would have gone down as the, the final pre-COVID Olympic Games. Obviously, bringing people from all over the world and basically every summer sport all at once in Tokyo, pre-COVID was a great idea. In the middle of COVID, it's working out, but obviously not the way everybody wanted it to. Um, we waited an extra year, as we all know, but nobody is watching the Olympics relative to the numbers television and streaming and everything got, to my knowledge at least, in 2016 in Rio and in 2012 in London. And you could say, well, you know, Japan and the time zones, it's so far away from the East Coast. But then you go back to 08 in Beijing, which is, you know, very similar time zone or probably one or two over tops in terms of Beijing from Tokyo, if that might even be in the same time zone. I don't have that in front of me. But, you know, Tokyo, Beijing, both significantly on the other side of the world from New York City in terms of time zones. Obviously, Rio, not that far off. London, you know, we all watch the Premier League window all the time anyway on weekends. We get it. It's a five-hour window. But anyway, I don't think that's it. I think, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed everything, and this is probably one of those things. But also the energy in the stands. There's no fans, and that's obviously... Not fun to watch, but also it's tough for the athletes. And that, that gets me to my first piece, which I'll get to in a second, relative to Simone Biles. All right, so as you likely know, Simone Biles withdrew from the team competition after, I think, one rotation or one round, recording this on the 28th. So, you know, within the last, say, 36 hours. And <clears throat> sorry to clear my throat and have a little bit of trouble talking here. It's a little early in the morning, but I want to get this out. 
So Simone Biles over the last, what, eight years has been head and shoulders better than everybody in her sport all around the world. And she's done this, for, like I said, for several years. You know, I think she took on a corrupt, I don't think, sorry, I was looking at the wrong note. In addition to being the best gymnast in the world for the better part of a decade, Simone Biles took on a corrupt USA Gymnastics, helped shine a light on the Larry Nasser scandal, transcended her sports worldwide for multiple years. She's done so much for gymnastics, both on the mat, if you will, and for USA Gymnastics and helping them hopefully clean up the absolute horrific things that were going on behind the scenes there. That, you know what, she owes us nothing, and her withdrawing, even if it is that mentally she's not right, and that can do with focus, that can do with confidence, that can do with a combination of those two, that can do with anything. doesn't owe us anything. She's given us so much. Also, gymnastics is inherently a very dangerous sport. If you're over-rotating or you don't know where you're at and you have no confidence about it, you know, and you've proved everything already for the last eight to ten years, I'm with the people who are saying, you know what, doesn't owe us anything. You know, and the fact that there's no fans in the stands, that takes away another layer of normalcy for her. I'm not saying she needs fans in the stands to be at her best. She obviously made the Olympic team um, several times. She's been able, you know, but the point is, Every little piece of this Olympic Games, the waiting the extra year, the no fans, all of it, it's a lot. And gymnastics is a dangerous sport. And the thing about gymnastics is you compete against everybody, but you don't actually compete against them. You compete for the judge's affection, if you will, for the judge's admiration, for the judge's saying, oh yeah, you're legit. So yeah, if you're not right in your head, you are your own opponent because it's your mind and body and confidence and everything wrapped together that's going to make you good. So I have no problem at all with Simone Biles saying, you know what, I'm not sure I got it right now. And I'm not sure it's safe for me to go out there and, and I don't owe anybody anything to, to, to attempt to fix this on the fly. So I'm good with that. Now, one of the interesting things is I don't think Naomi Osaka owes anybody anything either. And she's getting a lot of heat for losing a match. And she cited, hey, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. All true. It's my first time playing the Olympics. That's true. We'll get into that in a minute in terms of other folks who've early exits for good tennis players in the Olympics. But I think people are trying to lump these two together around the mental aspect of their game. Okay, number one, gymnastics is a lot more inherently dangerous than tennis. Number two, in tennis, you play somebody. So yeah, you've got to be mentally right to play that person, but you're not jumping off a balance beam. You're not doing flips off a... You know, on a floor routine, you're playing tennis against another human being. And whether you have your A game or not, there's a million ways to win a tennis match as long as you combine focus, determination, talent, and grit. Again, I have no problem with Naomi Osaka going out and losing a match because I'm, I'm watching a tennis match right now on television as I record this pod. In every tennis match, someone loses because it's literally a battle it's a zero-sum game. Somebody has to move on. There's no impression of the judges. It's just who wins the most points, who wins the most games, who wins the most sets, who wins the match. So I'm not sure why she's getting lumped in with Naomi. Sorry, why Naomi Osaka is getting lumped in with Simone Biles in terms of, oh, yeah, take a mental break. She can definitely take a mental break, and she has taken a mental break after the French Open. I'll get into that in a second. I'm not saying mental breaks aren't important, and I'm not saying that she's not also shining the light on the importance of mental breaks for athletes, mental health for athletes, mental health for all of us. Again, 
all good things. But again, when you lose a match, well, you get to take a break anyway. So it's not like she withdrew. She was eliminated. Again, no shade, and she definitely owes us nothing because like a bunch of other great tennis players in their Olympic appearances, someone has to win and someone has to lose, and it's not always going to be Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic or Serena Williams or, in this case, Naomi Osaka. So just kind of a weird little distinction between the two sports that I think are getting lumped together and ignored a little bit. Let me find some notes real quick here on what I wanted to say more about this tennis piece. All right, so I covered this a little bit already, but nobody owes any of the fans anything, whether it's Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles. So I'm going to try to land the plane. I'm not criticizing either one of these two athletes or anybody else, actually. But I think Naomi Osaka just, you know, again, clearly she has the most talent and the best tennis game in the world right now when she's dialed in, when she is ready to roll. You know, and as the person who lit the Olympic torch for her home nation of Japan the other night, she clearly wanted to perform well on this international stage on behalf of her country and on behalf of herself. And wanting to do so and being able to do so and being dialed in to do so, three different things. I would love to compete for America. I am not able to. It doesn't matter if I'm dialed in because I, I can't do the second one. She obviously is able to. She wanted to. Dialed in part, I'm going to get into in a second here. So in tennis, it's literally about locking in and finding a way to beat an opponent one at a time. There's no clock. There's not necessarily any style points in terms of winning a match. People might say, oh, Roger Federer's game is more beautiful than Novak Djokovic's. doesn't mean he's won any more majors. In fact, they've won the same amount, and that's probably going to change soon in favor of Djokovic. But yes, there are style points, but they don't matter. They're subjective. Gymnastics, that matters. That's your score. In tennis, did you earn the points or not? So if the most talented person, in this case on the women's side for sure, I think Naomi Osaka, is able to focus and bring a certain level of grit to any of their matches, they don't need their A game to win a match every single time out. But they also can't bring their, you know, their, their D or their E or their F or their G game either. Maybe their, maybe their C game, certainly their B game. So it's okay that Osaka lost. It's okay that she cited the pressure to win as part of the reason maybe she lost. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, many other tennis players have all dropped out early. And by dropped out, I mean been dropped, lost a match early in the Olympics. No shame in losing to another professional tennis player. Another top 50 in this case when Osaka lost to the number 42 ranked player in the world. So number, you know, you've lost one of the best 42 people in the world. Now, of course, you're number two in the world, but still, that person's a professional player, too. If she's dialed in, let's go. I mean, even the world number one, Ash Barty. Ash Barty won Wimbledon two weeks ago. She lost her first Olympic batch. So again, but Ash Barty also didn't cite, oh, it's, it's the Olympics, so I wasn't ready or I didn't understand it. She just got beat and went home. And that's why I'm not sure why we're lumping in the preemptive mental break that Osaka took to get ready for the games with losing a match. Because, again, Biles withdrew because in the moment right now, she needs, she's burnt out. She needs to get away from it. Osaka took the time off before. And, again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just pointing out the difference. So let's look at Osaka real quick. Dropped out of the French Open, citing the fact that, you know, the criticism she got from the press and others about her criticism of of players having to do post-match press conferences You know, it's not the best time for people to be questioning athletes about what went wrong when they recently ended their match. She has a point, and she's never been afraid to speak her mind on polarizing topics, and that's fantastic. 
to use that platform, what you believe in, and to help those who are voiceless. But again, she left the French Open after winning her first round match before her second round match. She then withdrew from Wimbledon to focus on the Olympics. Didn't play a match at Wimbledon. So played one match at the French, zero at Wimbledon. She released a documentary letting us in to sign behind the scenes of her life over the last couple, couple of years, right in time for the Olympics. So she's definitely savvy. I know that she wants to, like so many athletes, with their own ability to control the narrative, she wants to put out what she wants to put out. Fair. She's earned that right. She won four majors. She's a global icon. Do what you want to do. But in the process of making your point that you get to control your narrative, when you leave the French Open early and you don't come to Wimbledon, two majors before you go to the Olympics, which every four years is basically the fifth major, if you will, or the sixth major because the year-end finals or whatever. Anyway, you get it. It's just not a great look to prepare you. Not, I don't mean a good look. It's not a great method or process to prepare you to play world-class tennis to represent your country and win a gold medal here in Tokyo. And if you look at how it was going for her, she won the U.S. Open in 2020 on September 13th or 12th. She won the Australian Open in February 2021 on February 19th or 20th. So she'd won the last two majors before the French Open stuff with the press and with Ritrara. After February's uh, Australian, she went to Miami, lost in the quarters to Sakari, who's a good player from Greece, but she went to make the quarters. So she got four matches in, three matches in. Then she goes to Madrid in April, lost in the second round. Then she lost her opening match in Rome in May, late April, early May. Then she played one match in May in Paris, the French Open, and she withdrew from Wimbledon. So here we are in the end of July. She played four competitive WTA tennis matches between April and July. So then she comes into her second match of the Olympics, and she loses. And I'm not sure it was the pressure of the moment. I think it might have been the fact that her opponent has been playing a lot more competitive professional tennis matches than Osaka has over the last three months. Her opponent was also playing for her country, the Czech Republic, so that's pressure. Her opponent was also playing with... No, flip it, sorry. Her opponent was playing with nothing to lose. I'm sure the lack of fans didn't help Osaka because, one, Osaka is unbelievable in big, match, in big matches and in big match environments, and that big match lift you get from the crowd, in this case, her hometown crowd, her home country crowd, would have definitely helped her raise her B game or C game even the lack of focus that she may have had or the pressure she might have been feeling or the combination of all of it, the crowd could have helped her. They weren't there to help her either. But the thing is, she's won four majors, including two in a row. She's able to play what she wants, but she only gets one chance to play in the Olympics on her home soil, most likely. And I think that playing more than four matches in three months would have been better preparation for it. So this is a competitive rant, not a mental health rant. So Marketa Vandrusova, the Czech player who beat Osaka in Tokyo, she played 12 matches over the same amount of time that Osaka played four. Played three times as many matches over the same time period. So she had a great run. Marketa Vandrusova had a great run in the French Open. Otherwise, she's been kind of ham and egging it with first, second, and third round exits in all of her other tournaments, but she's been playing. She's been moving around. She's been on tour. She's been focused. She's been grinding. So that's, in my mind, the biggest factor with what happened to Osaka. It's not, whether it's mental or not, I don't think necessarily, I think it's, you haven't been playing enough tennis to be mentally ready to have the edge you need to beat another top 50 player in the world. 
Nothing wrong with leaving the French open. Nothing wrong with taking on the press about it and then taking a break from it. There's nothing wrong with skipping Wimbledon. But taking all those steps in a row before Tokyo, that might have been enough to cost her the edge she needed that you get only from playing matches. Philbusterfreestyle.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the pod wherever you get your pods, including Spotify, Deezer, Apple Podcasts. Did I say Spotify? SoundCloud, Good Pods, etc. Philbusterfreestyle.com, like I said, and at Philbusterfreestyle on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening.